We meet today in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 10. God's charge against the nation Israel. Chapter 1 is God's solemn call to the universe to come into the courtroom to hear God's charge against the nation Israel. Isaiah lived in a time of tension. In many respects, it was a time of crisis in the history of the world. World-shaking events were transpiring. Catastrophic and catalysmic judgments were taking place. There was upheaval in the social order. A new nation had arisen in the north. It was moving towards world domination. Assyria, the most brutal nation ever to put an army on the battlefields, was marching to world conquest. Already the northern kingdom of Israel had been taken into Assyrian captivity. The southern kingdom of Judah was in a precarious position, and an Assyrian army of about 185,000 strong men was just outside the walls of Jerusalem. In this desperate and difficult day, Hezekiah entered the temple and tended to God in prayer. God sent his prophet with an encouraging word. He asserted that Assyria would never take Judah. The army of Assyria would never set foot on the streets of Jerusalem, and they would never cross the threshold of any gate of the city of the great king. But God was preparing another nation, Babylon, the head of gold down by the banks of the river Euphrates. This nation would eventually take Judah into captivity unless she turned to God. God was giving Judah another chance in doing this. In order to establish the justice of his cause, God called her into court. He held her before his bar of justice. He gave her opportunity to answer the charge, to hear his verdict, and to throw herself on the mercy of his court. And God invites us into the court to see if he is just. It is well for this day and generations to go into the courtroom and see God on the throne of judgment and in this sensational scene. In the thinking of the world, God has been removed from the throne of judgment. He has been divested of his authority, robbed of his regal prerogatives, shorn of his locks as the moral ruler of this universe. He has been towed to the edge of the world and pushed over as excess baggage. This is a blasphemous picture of God, my friend. He is still the moral ruler of this universe. He is still upon the throne of justice. He has not abdicated his responsibility. He is still the judge. He will punish sin. Isaiah records the principles upon which God judges nations. God raises up nations and he puts them down. The kingdoms of this world today are Satan's, but God overrules them. God has permitted great nations to rise, and he has permitted certain to use them. But when it is time in God's program for certain nations to move off the stage, he moves them off, certain with standing. Even God's own people, the Jews, 
are a testimony of the fact that God rules in the affairs of nations of this world. The children of Israel sang the song of Moses with an expression as they crossed the Red Sea. The expression is, Jehovah is a man of war. Yes, he is my friend. He will not compromise with sin. He will not accept the white flag of surrender. He is moving forward in undeviating, unhesitating, and uncompromising fury against sin. There would be hope today for men if he would stay with Isaiah. I saw also the Lord seated upon a throne. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotam, Ahazi, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Isaiah 1 verse 1. Now this is the list of the kings whose reign Isaiah's public ministry spanned. This list allows us to date his ministry and therefore give us, it gives us an idea of when he began writing this book. Uzziah reigned independently after his father's death from B.C. 767 to 740. Jotam reigned from 740 to 731. Ahaz reigned from 731 to 715. Hezekiah from 715 to 686 BC. That is the time when Judah was taken into captivity. Now, also note that this is a vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem. I am sure that we will not make the mistake of locating either one elsewhere in the southern hemisphere. There is, however, a marvelous application for Africa today, one that we need to hear and heed. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Isaiah 1 verse 2. Now this verse describes the arrogance of Judah. God begins this prophecy in a majestic manner. This is God's general judgment against Judah. He is calling the world, if you please, to come into the courtroom and listen to the proceedings as he tries his people. God does not do anything in a corner or in a dark place. This language is strangely similar to the way Deuteronomy 32 begins. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. When God put the nation Israel in the land, having taken them out of the land of Egypt, he put down the conditions on which he was homesteading them in the promised land. He called the created intelligences of heaven and earth to witness these conditions. Now, after 500 years, God says, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. He is now ready to take them out of the land and send them into the Babylonian captivity. He calls the created intelligences of heaven and earth to witness that he is just and right in his dealings. 
His charge against them is rebellion. The condition upon which they were allowed to dwell in the promised land was obedience. They were disobedient. And according to the Mosaic law, when a man had a rebellious son, that son was to be stoned to death. God's charge against the Israelites is a serious one here. As his children, they had rebelled against the Mosaic law in this connection. In the book of Deuteronomy, not the law concerning an incorrigible son. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 18 to verse 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with the stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And all Israel shall hear and fear. Wow. This was what the Lord did with a prodigal son. The crowd that heard Jesus tell the story of the prodigal son was actually dumbfounded when he said that the father told the servants to kill the fetid calf instead of killing the son. When the prodigal son got home, he asked his father for forgiveness. And even before he finished his confession, his father had thrown his arms around the boy, kissed him, and forgiven him. Instead of stripes, the son was given a wonderful feast. God is not only just, but also merciful. But the rebellion of a son is a serious thing, my friend. Scripture has a great deal to say about it. In order to emphasize his charge and break the tension of the courtroom, God indulges in a habit of humor. I trust that you recognize humor in the Bible. It will make you enjoy it in a great deal more. Now, it does not hurt Christians, my friends, to have the right kind of humor. God has put a lot of humor in his word. Listen to this. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's scribe, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Isaiah 1 verse 3. This verse describes Judah's attitude as stupidity. Even the dumbest of domestic animals is smarter than Israel, for they knew their owner, the one who cares for them. The two animals that are used here for illustrations do not have a reputation of being very intelligent. Neither the ox nor the long-eared donkey has a very high intelligent quotient. However, even these animals have intelligence enough to know who feeds them. On the contrary, a number of people today do not have intelligence enough to know that God provides for all their needs. They don't know that God feeds them. They do not even recognize that he exists. What a commentary on this sophisticated generation that no longer needs God. The story is told of a little boy reared in a Christian home who was having his first visit away from home. 
although he was only going next door for the next evening meal, he was eagerly anticipating the experience and at five o'clock he was dressed and ready to go. When it came time for all of them to sit down at the table, the little fellow who was accustomed to hearing the giving of thanks at the table bowed his head and shut his eyes. But the home to which he had been invited was not a Christian home, and they immediately began to pass the food. Because he didn't want to miss anything, he opened his eyes and looked around. The little fellow was just a bit embarrassed, but not having any inhibitions, he raised the question, Don't you, folk, thank God for your food? Then the host was a bit embarrassed, but confessed that they did not. The young lad was thoughtful for a moment and then blurted out, You are exactly like my dog. You just start in. There were many people who were surprised by that statement, yet it was also accurate because animals don't give thanks for food. There are many people who are like that today. Multitudes of people live just like animals. God says here, the ox knows his owner and the donkey his master's crib, but my people do not hear. We hear people that man has descended from animals. Who says he has? Men acts like animal act. In fact, it would be said that some animals are smarter than some men. Instead of men descending from animals, maybe animals descended from men. Maybe they have evolved into something better than men. Man has dropped pretty low. I think that the Lord said when he opened up the court, I think that is what the Lord said when he opened up the court. Now he continues his charge in verse 4 of Isaiah 1. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, Children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. The phrase sinful nation is literally sinning nation. The next three clauses repeat the sense of the first in different words to emphasize the degree of sinfulness. Their greatest sins are their forsaking and provocation of God Almighty. Now, we see God as the judge of all the earth and of his own people Israel. It seems strange to think of God as a judge because in the thinking of the world today, God has been removed from the throne of judgment. He has been taken, he has been ripped off his authority. He has been robbed of his regal prerogatives and shorn of his locks as a moral ruler of the universe. He has been driven to the edge of the world and pushed over as access baggage. Don't think I am being irrelevant when I say that modern teaching has given us a whooped conception of God. He is characterized as a toothless old man with long whiskers, sitting on the edge of a fleece cloud with a rainbow around his shoulders. He is simple, senile, and sentimental. 
He is overwhelmed with the mush love that slops over on every side, dripping honey and tears. He does not have enough courage to, or backbone even to swat a fly or crush a grape. His proper place is in the corner by the fireplace, where he can neither crochet or knit. This is the world's concept of God, but that is not how the Bible describes him. God is going to judge this universe just as he judged his own people, and that ought to be a warning not only to nations, but also to individuals, to you and me, my friend. Israel is described as a people laden with iniquity. Again, the phrase throws a, a world of light upon the personal invitation of the Lord Jesus when he invited people in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now we know what he meant, laden with iniquity. The people of Israel were laden with sin. Today his invitation goes out to those who are laden with sin to bring that burden and load to him and find rest, the rest of redemption. In this verse, God spells out Israel's condition. They are backslidden. They have turned away from God. They are a people laden with iniquity. Now he is going to spell out in detail the charge that he has made against them. And of course, this brings to, to mind the philosophy of human government upon which God operates. This system is presented to us in the book of Judges. And you see this cycle of the history of human governments working itself out in many nations, in the nation. In the book of Judges, we saw Israel serving God, being blessed of God and prospering. They began in their prosperity to turn away from God, and they finally turned to idolatry. They were in rebellion against God. In fact, they forgot him. Then God delivered them into the hands of the enemy. In a short time, they began to cry out to God for deliverance. When they turned to God, he delivered them from their enemies and put them back in the place of blessing. This picture follows all the way through scripture and history corroborates the fact that there are three steps in the downfall of any nation. There is, to begin with, religious apostasy, then there is moral awfulness, and finally there is political anarchy. Many people don't pay any attention to the cycle until the stage of political anarchy is reached. And then they cry out that the government should be changed and that a new system is adopted. Well, the problem is not in the government. The problem in Jerusalem was not in the palace, but the problem was within the temple. The trouble begins when there is a spiritual apostasy. Here is Isaiah chapter 1. Verse 5 to verse 7. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and petrifying sores, they have not been closed or bound up 
or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. Now what God says in these verses is absolutely true. There is a moral awfulness and political anarchy, but God is holding back. This still is not the charge that he is bringing against them. In fact, if they would repent at this time, God would avert his anger. Here is Isaiah 1, verse 8 to verse 10. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord. You rulers of Sodom, give ear to the law of your God, you people of Gomorrah. An important word is introduced in this passage, the remnant. That remnant can also be translated as survivors. In other words, if there had not been a remnant which is faithful, God would have destroyed Israel as he did Sodom and Gomorrah. But there has always been a remnant of God's people. There is a remnant today. There are Christians scattered throughout the world. Don't believe the lie that says we no longer have Christians who are seriously devoted to God. The prophet also here is not speaking pro rhetorically to the ancient dead. Rather, this is a demeaning label he is applying to his audience. It was intended to be offensive so that they might consider his words and also see that their sin was as great as that of the ancient nations. The purpose of highlighting and even painting sin in its true picture when God's word comes is not to celebrate the way it is, but is to give a warning so that a sinner will hear the alarm and turn to God. The saints will be edified and God glorified. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one four four seven five. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code 27 followed by 72641-4475. From within South Africa, it's 072-641-4475.